Portage Health Foundation is proud to introduce you to Superior Educator Jessica Hendrickson of Stanton Township Public Schools. Jessica is the glue that keeps their school together. Her cheerful energy can be felt through emails and heard over phone and in person. She is quick to respond to questions or concerns from all parents. She is very welcoming and especially to new students who benefit from seeing her friendly face. If you know an amazing educator like Jessica, go to superioreducators.org and nominate them to be recognized as the next Superior Educator. Welcome back to Copper Country Today. I'm Grant Ducido, joined by Michael Stumbos, an author who has some serious ties to the Copper Country. Copper Country Today brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. Learn more at phfgive.org. And according to the press release we got, it has you billed as a Hancock native. Are you still in the area, or if not, where are you living at the moment? I think they may have been rounding a little bit on Hancock native. I've I've moved around quite a bit. Um, so... So my mom was um, my mom did all of her growing up in in Houghton Hancock area, and and I was there a lot as a kid. I was actually born in Green Bay, Wisconsin. My older brother was born in Hancock. We lived in that area for a bit, and then when we moved out to the West Coast, uh, we would go back there for um, every summer for fourteen years, and then a lot of winters as well. So. I'm from that area. You're an honorary Uber. We'll we'll give you but that. But I but I can't say that I'm a guaranteed native. Yeah. Gotcha. As far as science and, fiction, and I'm currently living in. Uh, I'm actually currently living in Virginia. Gotcha. As far as science fiction goes, is it something that you always liked as a kid? Were you a writer back then, or is it something that you picked up more as an adult? I was always interested in science fiction. Um, I was definitely a huge and Star Trek nerd as a kid. I mean, like some of my earliest memories of like really getting into a particular kind of story were based in star Wars. Like a lot of my older cousins had the plastic action figures of the different star Wars characters. And, and I, I thought that was just a great vehicle for like any kind of imagined game. And then they showed me star Wars out of order, but still, uh, I was like, this is the greatest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. And I need to, uh, you know, I, I need to fully devote most of my time and thought to it. And when I was, you know, four, five, six years old, that was a very reasonable use of time. <laughs> and then from there, Star Trek The Next Generation was, you know, playing all through my growing up years, and I was like, that's, uh, that's, that's definitely something that I need to figure out how to do and create in some form. Um, so yeah, it was very much an interest from an early age. You mentioned that you like Star Wars a lot, especially as a kid, and Kevin J. Anderson is one of the people involved with the contest that you were just judged yes. in, and I believe that he's known for a lot of Star Wars uh, novels over the years. Yeah, that he is. And he's actually a big part of why I'm I'm, I'm involved in you know this publication. They've been submitted to it in the first place. Uh, so Kevin J. Anderson runs a writing seminar group um, yearly. It's called Superstars Writing Seminars. And actually, they just had their, their most recent one uh, in Colorado Springs in February, and I was there for that. And I got introduced to a lot of the speculative fiction community because I went to go see Kevin talk at a Comic-Con, and I brought my copy of, uh, of Jedi Search, one of his books, and I, one of the first like full-length novels I'd read as a kid. And I wanted to have him sign it. I wanted to talk about writing. And he introduced me to some of this community, and uh, in kind of a roundabout way, I ended up getting involved and, and starting to submit my own stuff for publication in the years that followed. And how long have you been getting at least uh, short stories in that published, and how did it lead to what you're doing right now? What's been the progression, so to speak, of this career? 
Well, I will say that a big chunk of the progression was very stalled by being a teacher. So I was a, I was a full-time educator. I am since maneuvering into more writing and uh, private tutoring, private education, because it's better for my time on that. But I, I tried to self-publish a novel before I went in to teach, and that was like back in 2012. And and I didn't do much with it. I just needed to like get something out there before I was going to teach high school English, because one of the things that had always frustrated me when I was a teenager was I, I would ask my teachers about their publishing and writing experience, and none of my teachers had ever actually published anything, and and that bugged me. So I was like, I need to not do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, so four masters in teaching, self-published a novel, and then went into teaching and kind of like got locked into full-time teacher mode, um, not knocking it as a profession, just very aware now that, that it's one of those things that is very hard for me to write and teach in a way that, that would actually let me try to get things published and improve enough of the craft to be able to do that. Um, so it wasn't until uh, 2016 that I had... I guess even an inkling of like, oh, here's a place where I can send a story, even just a short story. Um, and that was to a Word Fire Press uh, charity anthology. It's called uh, Dragon Riders. It was a wonderful anthology to be able to submit to and then to be included. And it was just was just a huge breakthrough for me personally in terms of like, oh, I can do this. I can write along with these other people um, because the anthology, you know, it's it's through Kevin J. Anderson's company. And it included Brandon Sanderson as, as the as the front runner story, and then David Farland, um, aka Dave Wolverton, who recently passed. So he also had a story in that anthology, and I'm like, wow, I'm I'm in this collection with these awesome science fiction fantasy writers, and you know maybe I have what it takes to try to put myself out there and make it work. And it still took another three years when I was you know very much rooted in the teaching world and not getting much writing done, but like trying to find out okay where are the stages that i can go where are the where are the events where are the like the, the publications that might be taking a newish writer and in uh summer of 2019 i decided to shift away from full-time public school teaching went into substitute teaching and tutoring which was like, I, I did the big pro con list trying to figure out how can i still make a living while being able to write and at that point i was like all right i'm going to dedicate myself to writing three novels a year and selling at least three short stories and that was that was a big push, and I did not necessarily accomplish that the first year, but I got closer. I, I got a few of my stories published in um, free or token payment anthologies, and then made my first pro sale, and that's uh, eight cents a word plus royalties, was with a collection called Galactic Stew, and that was from uh, Zombies Need Brains, was the name of the publisher. Um, and I love them. They're great to work with. I am actually in another one of the anthologies coming out this summer. And, you know, and that led to, to some of the next opportunities. And so Writers of the Future is one that I had heard about vaguely, but I'd also heard that it was like a very, very tiny chance of anybody being selected for this because it was three stories out of thousands are picked during each submission period. And I'm like, well, maybe not the best use of my time or energy. And so I didn't do it for for years. Um, and, it, and yet after having had Pro Sale and a couple others on the way, I was like, well... I guess not pro sales on the way at that point. I had had one pro and then a couple other smaller sales along the way. I was like, well, I might as well give this thing a try because I re-looked at it from a different mindset. I was like, you know, I've, I've been learning some different uh, craft things and in the future contest, you don't really have anything to lose by submitting because it's a free submission um, and you're submitting 
stories blind. They don't know who wrote them. You take your name off of the submission. And so they're just reading the stories, seeing which ones they like, and then picking a collection of semifinalists and then finalists and then winners from there. I'm like, well, I can submit every quarter. And if it's terrible, nobody will know that it's me. <laughs> and that was that was the thought process that went into it. Uh, and so, you know, I, I submitted one. My first one was a semifinalist. Um, and, you know, that meant that I got to talk to, to David Farland, uh, contacts the semifinalists and gives direct critiques. And, and that was, you know, that was, that was a great connection to be able to continue to to build, you know, just in terms of, of mentorship and connections in the community. Um, and so then, you know, I submitted again. It was an honorable mention. And then it was the third submission uh, where I really wanted to submit actually a different story than the one that I, I did submit, but it was in consideration somewhere else at the time. And so I was like, well, I'll just take the story that I had the most fun with recently, and I'll send that, and that one ended up being the winner. So the first place winner, winter quarter 2021, and it's getting published in the collection uh, this coming April. When you win for a quarter, I believe that all of the quarterly winners then turn around and they compete for kind of a bigger prize on an annual basis, correct? This is true, yep. Yeah, so as one of the first place winners, um, I'm eligible for the Golden Pen Award and the Grand Prize. So that is a very cool thing to look ahead toward, and I'm like, I don't want to bank on it, and yet it would be really exciting if that happens. When do you hear on that particular uh, distinction? As far as I know, April 8th is when that one gets announced. Gotcha. Your story, how long are we talking? Is it what would be considered a short story? Is it something closer to a novella? What's the length as far as the uh, submissions for the Writer of the Future contest? Yes, they're always going to be either short stories or short novellas. I believe the current restrictions are 2,000 to 17,000 words. Um, and, and I... Unfortunately, I will have to apologize that I, I can't talk any specifics about about that story because it is one that is still going to be judged for the grand prize. Sure, sure, sure. The specifics about it. So yeah, so I can give you the the rules in the ballpark range. Um, we have a short story, the kind of thing that you know you could sit down and, and read in a half an hour to an hour. You mentioned some of your influences, and then you also talked about science fiction and fantasy, and they always get lumped together, but I would have to assume that they're rather different to write when you're talking about the respective genres. Do you have a favorite, or do you like to bounce back and forth? I would say that I prefer science fiction. And, and yeah, I agree that you know they're often lumped together, um, and there are some elements that overlap, but I find that where I distinguish them the most personally is fantasy is more about imparting that sense of wonder. So you can go off into an unknown, and it stays wondrous and magical and unknown. In science fiction, you really want to investigate it. You want to like tease out all the hows and whys for for the things that work or don't work. I mean, and and like you know, you can get debates back and forth on whether Star Wars is closer to fantasy or science fiction. That's that's neither here nor there. But for me, when I'm writing or reading, I really like the investigative approach. I really like to know why something works, even if it's a little bit hand-wavy pseudoscience and Geordie LaForge makes a speech in Star Trek and, uh, and explains why it works with native words. Um, <laughs> I, I am okay with that, but I, I like to dig into the why. By the end of the story, I want to know and I want the characters to know why something works the way it does and then be better for that knowledge. Um, and this is, you know, some of the teacher me coming out because, you know, even if I've moved out of public school world, I've got still very much in education. I've always thought with science fiction that it tends to be 
character focused, whereas fantasy, the world, I think, is kind of the main character. And then you find out how everybody else fits in and kind of the world building side of things gets a lot more play with fantasy than it does in maybe even science fiction, certainly other genres that are out there. Yeah, I think that's true for a lot of books. Yeah, I I do think that we're starting to see maybe it's not across the board, but I'm liking that I've been seeing some trends in in fantasy lately that are very much character driven, and I, I think some of that is uh, you know some of the Brandon Sanderson stories and then people who are like we need to get back into character adventures and the R.A. Salvatore style. So yeah, we might be seeing some some swing in the other direction. We'll yeah, see. Gotcha. As far as you know, making this a profession, let's say you get some regular gigs and maybe even it turns into a novel or two, would you always want to dabble in this sandbox, this fantasy and science fiction, particularly science fiction, or would you like to throw out the occasional uh, mystery novel, the occasional suspense or uh, crime novel, something like that? Do you want to play in all of the different options that are out there, or are you happy to be just in the science fiction realm? Oh, that is an excellent question. Uh, so I I can say that there's a part of me that yearns to be able to play in every storytelling sandbox, but I think that I'm likely to focus more on science fiction than anything else, probably for a long time. If if things take off to a degree that, like, that my name as an author is enough to sell a book to a major publisher, then, then there will be some more opportunities there. Um, and in terms of the novel link stuff, after... Uh, so I, I, I wrote several novels, and then after winning the Writers of the Future Award, I had an opportunity to pitch to a publisher that's, um, that's East Coast-based. It's in North Carolina, uh, Chris Kennedy Publishing, and then they picked up a series. And so actually in the last – it's only been the last three months, actually – they have published three of my books. The series is called This Fine Crew. It is very Star Trek-inspired, and, and I've got the first three, The Signal Out of Space, A Rupture in Time – and Seed in the Sky. Seed in the Sky just released this last Friday. So all three um, are out. All three are out, yep. And I've been greenlit for, for continuing the series, so I'm working on book four. And we're trying to keep it so that there's no more than a six-month gap between books in the series. And, and I mean, like, if I can train that down to get, like, you know, four-month or five-month gap, then I'm into that, too. But... Uh, <laughs> Well, I've heard Stephen King say that every first draft, no matter how long the book happens to be, should be able to be written in three months. That's reasonable, yeah. The uh, So the novels in this Fine Crew series have each been about a 10-week write. The first one was eight and a half, but you know, did some polishing and changing before having a, you know, a draft that felt like a full story. But books one, two, and three were all within 10 weeks. And book four, I'm hoping to hit that or close to... But I am aware that I've, I've got some uh, some events, some author events happening over the next two months that are going to interrupt that schedule a bit. I think of some of the kind of the famous science fiction writers, whether it be uh, Asimov or uh, Ray Bradbury. So much of their visions have almost predetermined some of the technological advancements we've had just because the vision they laid out when young people read it, it turned into the technology of the next generation. Is that something cool about being involved with science fiction that you may be influencing somebody to create an invention that right now is just an idea in your head? Maybe it's down on paper, but it could be something real going forward. Yeah, I I really like that idea. And I'm don't think that anyone can easily predict, you know, what's going to happen 50 or 100 years from now with like the exact train of of innovation that might get there. 
But I, I've always liked the idea of, of kind of puzzling out, well, here's some problem that we're facing in our world with a technology that you know doesn't yet exist. What would fix that problem? And I, I think some of those open-ended brainstorms are where the big ideas and innovations come from. I also think for me that one of the things that I, I, I like to focus on is just how people interact in a new or futuristic environment. And so I think it would be much more subtle, but it would be very cool to be part of sort of sociological changes over time or to, you know, predict like, ah, there's a trend that might show up a hundred years from now. Gotcha. You mentioned that you initially got into science fiction thanks to television and movies. Do you think that that's something that you would be wanting to get into in your writing career as far as screenplays, whether it be for TV, an online series of some kind, or even a full-length feature film? Or do you want to be more on the novel and the short story side of things? Definitely in terms of making money and building a career, I think that I would say yes to anything that turned into a, uh, a film or television option. I, I know that there is some commentary back and forth about, like, you know, what it means to sell out and when. And uh, realistically speaking, I, I would love an opportunity to to be able to say, yes, take this work of mine, make it for the screen. Even if it's not exactly perfect, then it's, it's a much better way of getting things out there and having more opportunities to write. And if along with that, I, I were invited to uh, to write any portion of the screenplay or consult on it, I would probably want to be involved to the extent that I was invited. And if, if I wasn't invited to do that and the studio was taking it on their own, I'd be like, all right, cool, I will, uh, I will cash the check and I will get to work writing the next novel, knowing that there's probably going to be more from whatever people are pulled in from whatever streaming service ends up producing it. Sure. I know with uh, short stories, obviously, you have to be obviously brief because you have a set amount of words that you can work with. But I think for a lot of writers, it's difficult to transition from that full-length novel to the screenplay, because even if it's a long movie, the screenplay is going to be much shorter than yeah. what you're doing as far as what you're able to work with regarding the the drafts of a book. I believe the general rule of thumb is one minute of running time for a show or for a movie equals one page of writing. Well, I actually have some experience with that. I, I, so I wrote a number of stage plays in, in high school and college because that was you know my first opportunities to get things written and produced. So I've, I've written 17 stage plays, and I've had 10 productions of my work in some form. And so being able to write that dialogue at a quick clip and saying, this is going to be about an hour and 45 minutes of, of time that people are processing this story, is something that I'm, I'm fairly familiar with. Now, I, I can't say I've ever written a screenplay or know all the mechanics behind that, but I feel like I have some ideas of how those things translate. How much interaction did you have with the judges of the contest? Do you know who, maybe they all have to read the works, or perhaps they uh, score it so one person's reading one, another person's reading another, and then they compare scores as far as determining winners? I'm not exactly sure the mechanics on the judging side, but do you know who looked at your story, and did they give you feedback, maybe even in person? How did that process work? You know, I still don't know everything about it. I think that's one of those things that that they, they kind of keep in, in two stages where they just tell people you're going to send a story, it's going to be judged blind without people knowing where your name is, and then uh, whatever the top, I think, 18 are get passed up the line, or maybe it's even smaller than that, um, but it's a top chunk that get passed up the line to a different pool of judges who are going to thoroughly read all of them. So here are some of the things that I've heard. When somebody sends in a story, 
Um, it goes through sort of uh, an opening round, and it's like kind of the slush pile round. And not every story is guaranteed to be in full, and certainly not guaranteed to be read in full by multiple people. And so there are some slush readers, most of whom are former winners of, of the contest uh, and or established editors and authors. I know that one of the people who is in that, that opening reading group is Carrie English, who is a you know, former Right of the Future winner. Um, and the head coordinating judge for the last however many years has been David Farland. Um, now that he is now that he has passed, they're bringing in different people. And Jody Lynn Nye is the new coordinating judge for that process. But in order for something to go into the semifinalist or finalist stage, David Farland had to read that story in full. So maybe he went through an initial slush reader. He would read it in full. Um, they would get a collection of the top 18. And of those, there were some amount of finalists, I'm going to say eight, eight finalists that were put forward uh, to a different group of judges that hadn't read any of the things from the slush pile. So that group of judges is focusing only on that collection. And I don't actually know who all of them are. Uh, <laughs> the the people, that, the people that contact us directly um, are... David Farland and 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 Joni Labaki, um, so yeah, coordinating gotcha. judge and the and the president of, of Galaxy Press and Regis the Future, and then otherwise I think they they keep the writer submission and the judging separate enough. And now that you are a quarterly winner, and fingers crossed, you win the golden pen. Obviously, I'm assuming that you might be involved in the judging in a future year and perhaps even as you become more established that you can start up workshops. Is that kind of part of the, the, the cycle where you're taking advantage of the help of people who have already made it now that once you begin to establish yourself that you have to give back to some of the, the future writers, truly the future writers. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I would agree. I'm, I'm very much in favor of that kind of cycle. Um, so that pay it forward nature has been a wonderful thing in the community. And it's, it's something that, you know, the writers of the future, uh, contest and just culture really wants to promote. Um, so I've already been teaching workshops in in the community, and like initially when I started teaching them, I was like, I'm I'm here as a teacher more than as an established author, and I'm not going to claim that I have authority on all everything in the publishing industry, but I can talk about you know goal setting and I I can talk about how to crank out a first draft fairly quickly or how to, you know, look at some, some different options that we can take in storytelling. And since the, in the last year, it has definitely expanded. And even recently, um, one of the other former winners, Martin Shoemaker, who I've been in contact with and who has been kind of mentoring me and doing the pay it forward to me, uh, he was mentored previously by Mike Resnick and, and he's, put together a group, or I'm, I'm not sure if he's coordinating it entirely, but there's a group that they refer to themselves as Mike's Writer's Kids uh, from Michael Resnick. And Martin Shoemaker recently hosted an event called Pay It Forward Day on Mike Resnick's birthday in memoriam. And I was one of the instructors who was invited to lead a, a class on, on basically a, a quick way of planning out a novel. And then by the end of the, the plan, having some kind of an elevator pitch or a quick version of your story that you could tell people. And it's something that I initially taught in high school classes, but it translated well to a pay it forward experience to be able to talk to some other 
uh, emerging authors and even people who are much more established than me um, about like, here's an exercise, let's give it a try. The book, I'm assuming that there's going to be some sort of collection of these uh, shorter stories that have you know been part of this contest, including yours. If people are interested in reading your story, what you submitted, how are they able to do that? So on April 12th, there's going to be a publication that's the anthology L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future, Volume 38. So if you look for Writers of the Future, Volume 38, it's already available in pre-order link on Amazon, um, and it's already hitting Amazon bestseller categories just by pre-sales alone. Um, and that one is releasing as a collection of the 12 quarterly winners for the last year. Uh, so first place, second place, and third place quarterly winners plus a bonus story from, you know, an honorable mention or semifinalist who was pulled in. And along with that, a couple of other stories from, from different established authors and essays from, from authors, editors, artists. And yeah, so the writers and illustrators of the future compilations are all going to be put together in that volume. And one of the cool things about it is with each story, there will be an illustration that was done specifically for that story. And you'll get a black and white and in color version of those. So, so I'm very excited to see the final product. I have seen a couple of PDFs of the words and layouts, but very excited to see the artwork in the final product in April. Thanks to Michael Jack Stumbos for joining me on Capra Country Today, brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. Learn more at phfgive.org. I'm Grant Ducetto. You may have noticed I have not been on the radio this week. I have actually started a job in St. Cloud, Minnesota. So this will be my last Copper Country Today segment. Hopefully you enjoyed the last year or so of stories that I've been able to bring you. And I may have stepped away, but the Copper Country will always have a place in my heart. Today.